0: Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked.
1: A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host
0: Michelle
1: Govea, and I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Unstructured Unlocked. I'm co-host Michelle Govea.
1: I'm co-host Chris Wells.
0: And we are joined today by Shane Cassidy, the Executive Vice President of Global Insurance at Capgemini. Welcome, Shane, thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the discussion.
0: Same here. Um, can you share a little bit about, to kick us off, uh, what a little bit of your day-to-day looks like?
2: Uh, yeah, great question. I think my day-to-day is probably, if I'm lucky, it's you know 50% internal and 50% external. Um, you know, the We were just talking, Chris and I, about the market before we got started, and and it's actually quite busy, um, even with some of the challenges that are out there. So a lot of what we're doing, you know, I spend my day on kind of thinking proactively around our customers and their biggest challenges and trying to focus on what sort of solutions can we be putting out there that can help them address the challenges that they're facing, which are real, right? They're board level challenges that they're all dealing with, especially going into a new year and budgets are being created, so we spend a lot of time on that with our strategic customers. And the rest of the time is, you know, just evolving my own business and making sure that, you know, we've got the people in the right places. We do a lot of uh, people enablement and training because the nature of the market is changing so fast. The solutions are changing. Our even our partnerships are evolving. So there's a lot of that. And then, you know, obviously, I got to do the mundane day-to-day operational stuff that uh, is is not at all exciting, but well, Got to pay, pay bills though.
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> um, you've been at Capgemini a while. And before that, you had, you had a pretty varied career up to that point. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are and what's changed over the course of the last decade or so.
2: Yeah, uh, probably like most people in insurance and technology and consulting, you know, certainly wasn't in my plan. When I started, I started with Anheuser-Busch Brewery, and then I made the very obvious switch from selling beer to moving into IT and, and, uh, and insurance. <laughs> I'm sure lots of people are going to follow that path moving forward now that they've uh, witnessed this. Um, you know, he, <laughs> it was more of a timing and um, I'd been with anheuser Bush, a great company. I loved it. I had a great time. Uh, they were probably one of the best training organizations I've ever seen the way they focus on their people. Um, but it was around the year 2000 and the talk of technology and, and all of the impact in the market that was happening. And I had so many friends in this space and I just, you know, just say, you know what, it, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, kind of locked into Beer all my life, even though I enjoy it still to this day. <laughs> um, and it seemed like that was where the market was was heading, and um, I wanted to be a part of a, a part of it. Obviously, it wasn't you know the very beginning, but that was a big time uh, in this space. And I can see what was happening, and and even in Cap Gemini, a very interesting story. This was about the time when we came out with our Born on Dating, which was Cap. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, anheuser Eiser Bush came out with born on dating, which was when they put the date and the place and the time down to the minute that the beer was actually produced. And the whole point was they could say they could track the freshness of your beer when it was out um, in the market. And it all came down to actually an SAP implementation for warehousing and distribution, which gave them a sales strategy. And we were able to track the beer, honestly, into the bars and make sure that we were rotating it. We had big promotions about, you know, getting same day beer the day it was brewed. And the impact that the technology had on our business was also pretty interesting for me because that was the space I was in. So, I made the jump. It took me uh, several years of of looking pretty foolish in front of customers because um, I didn't know a whole lot. But then I started to understand it, and I uh, got to the point where I, you know, you know as Cap Gemini, um, we decided to verticalize back in two thousand and seven, and I jumped on the chance to work with some people I really respected in insurance. I felt they had a great strategy and we were small at the point. And since then, we've become one of the powerhouses in the industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, as you were talking about the dot-com era, I feel like you're foreshadowing some of the discussion to come, but I'm withholding, I'm not going to jump right to it just yet. We should talk about insurance a bit.
2: Very good. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. We don't want to get too... All of the fun stuff right away. <clears throat>
0: <laughs> well, when you started off with beer, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if insurance is a good follower of that, but I, I, I do wonder, um, Shane, this may be like an out, out there question. I don't know. Um, maybe we end up cutting it from the end of the show. <laughs> um, But from, from your experiences at Anheuser-Busch to what the conversations and the challenges that uh, your insurance clients are facing now. Any any synergies or similarities, like commonalities that pull through, that you're just like that. That's just a common challenge, regardless of your industry, that everyone is always trying to solve.
2: Yeah, well, I think you know, business is business uh, is the one thing I've learned. Um, running a smart, intelligent, profitable business is is got a lot of similarities, regardless of what you're trying to do. You know, Anheuser-Busch was a well-oiled machine. Um, They used data at that point better than most in the industry. And you could see the value of the data. We talked about born on dating and the importance of being able to track that bottle of beer. Um, You know, insurance is no different. You know, the the, uh, insights that are available to organizations are pretty much determining whether or not they're profitable right now. If you look at who was profitable over the last two years and who wasn't, you can almost guarantee it's because of the data that they had available to them, how they used it, and how their organization was structured to get the best benefit out of that data. And those that were used insights, but also were agile to, you know, to to, to agile enough to use those insights to determine how they place their investments won the day. They did good. I mean, there are there are PNC companies that had low 80s combined ratios and there's some that had 130 combined ratios so to me that that is pretty standard i think you know they they taught us a lot at annazer bush and in just that you got to find out what's really important to people and they usually are looking for one of you know four things they're looking for price they're looking for service they're looking for relationship and they're looking for outcomes. And to me, those things still sit true no matter what industry we're in. That's what my customers are looking for from me. They're looking for some combination of that. And finding the magic equation is pretty important. And they're doing the same to all their vendors and their partners and, and even their products. So, yeah, I, I, I believe, you know, we always say my, I, I'm looking for people with strong business acumen, number one. This before either technology or you know being an insurance expert, we can generally convert somebody into understanding enough to do certain roles in the organization if they've got a real good strong business acumen. So to me I think that's pretty fundamental.
1: I I like those four categories. Could I get you just to repeat them once for our, <laughs> our listeners?
2: Yeah, they're looking for price, service, relationship and outcome. One of those four things is generally primary and the other three are important. You got to figure out which one's number one.
1: Yeah. So is just
2: trying to get a little more
1: granular here, as you're thinking about those four categories, what are some of the challenges right now in terms of that data insights visibility that organizations need to move the needle across those categories?
2: Ooh, that is a big question. The the challenges, and you know, anyone who's listening to this. Conversation is an insurance person, most likely. I'm not sure many beer people are going to be listening in. (laughs) They're all too familiar uh, with with the insurance industry and ecosystem, right? We're plagued with legacy that just hasn't, to this point, been remediated. It's challenging to modernize, although I'm sure we'll be talking about just where we are in that process over time. Culturally, it's extremely uh, challenging to change um, the insurance and and I'll I'll say, you know, not just PNC, but life and annuities side of things. Um, It's it's the processes, the roles are ingrained in the DNA of these organizations. And even when you make really strong technology acquisitions, it doesn't always pay off because. The. Value And the extraction of that value comes through modernizing the service on top of that technology. So you have, you know, it's 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 tough because, you know, um, you'll see a lot of people don't have the data or they all have. They'll say we've got more data than we can ever use or make use of.
1: And a lot of that
2: is, you know, culturally, or they—they're not—they don't have the right operating model in place just yet to figure out how to extract that value for their own purposes. Now, it's not universal. There's certainly successes out there, but um, there's a lot of challenges. I'll, I'll tell you. One of the big learnings that the industry probably saw was coming out of COVID. Right, the COVID market changed every everybody's opinion or thinking of what do they need to offer in that market to who through what channels that, you know, for what reasons. And they had felt they'd just invested over the last decade, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars around modernization and digitization, but yet they still didn't have the agility and they still didn't have the data at their fingertips that they wanted. So I think that was a bit of a wake up call to insurers that, you know, spending money for money's sake in, in some modernization, if it doesn't have the outcomes that you need then, um, then you got to relook at what you're doing and how you're how you're going about it. But the challenges are are many and deep. are good news is they're probably um, they're all addressable, but they come with pain and suffering and um, time and money.
0: On 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 that, Shane, um, I think I would welcome your thoughts on this. But I, my assumption is that the outcome, the desired outcome, a lot of times can be impacted by partnership choices, the vendors, what is available as in terms of uh, capabilities and and offering. So, um, when, when you're working with your clients and and they, they come to you and say, this is what we're looking to solve for, whether it's price, you know, service relationship outcome. Um, how do you go about helping them, uh, refine the scope for the types of partnerships that they should be seeking and then ultimately help guide them in a direction that, um, Gets them to that desired outcome.
2: That's a, it's a good question, and it's it's evolving every day uh, because the technology continues to evolve. And I, I don't think anyone would predict five years ago what we're trying to accomplish today. And that starts me thinking around. You know, I, I'm not sure I can predict five years from now. Though there's plenty of programs we're involved in that are 10 year programs, mm-hmm. and so you know. I have been, we have been trying to advise our our customers around agility and building for flexibility over time because what we do know is access to data, availability of data, new tooling, integration capabilities are all accelerating at such a pace that what you want to be able to do is take care of it. I think, you know, tools like GuideWire and and Duck Creek and others have brought in the ability to have a very modern, flexible core system. That is resilient, and um, and and does the core process core processing in the cloud gives you what you need. So now the question is, how do we we build around that for those capabilities? Um, you know, and there's other technologies out there, and there's some that are are good, and some that are getting better. But there there is now, you know, no question that you can have a very reliable modern core. Which gives you the foundation, I think, to build from and develop those capabilities. A lot of the work and you know, a lot of our PNC customers, especially, have um, have modernized their core platforms or in the process of modernization. And uh, those are very tough programs, and they rely re- require a lot of fortitude because it's about staying focused on the outcome. Very much, uh, they can become technology software installations yeah. after six to nine months when they really are about. Delivering that outcome, so helping our customers stay focused on the value realization throughout. Why are we doing this from the beginning, and trying to help remind them of that and keep them on track in uh, working with them is um, is something we spend a lot of energy on, and and it it pays off in the end when when we're able to to meet those demands that they're they were looking to solve.
1: Yeah, on that topic of value realization, what's the breakdown in terms of level of effort for you all between the tech piece of it and then the people piece of it, right? Retraining folks, changing workflows, optimizing how people do their jobs.
2: Yeah, I would say way too small on the second piece right now, okay. way more on the technology side. Um, you know, all these transformations are more ecosystem plays and leveraging a, a broad set of tools on top of the core, uh, your tool being one of them. Um, the focus, We've been and has been one of my mantras is we need to move towards that second component far more consistently. And, and you know, it's tougher to get customers to understand to invest in that um, from the get go. Yeah. And uh, so it, it hasn't been. But I think, again, COVID has helped open some eyes around the value of that. So we push for what we call VRO, value realization office in every one of our deals, which isn't change management. Change management is, you know, software, standing up software, teaching you how to use it. Value realization is roles, responsibility, operating model, extracting the value of that technology after implementation or, you know, as you're executing.
1: Absolutely. So, Shane, um, that's a recurring theme, is that the the people side of of you know the change management, the new tools, all of that uh, is something that's a bit undervalued or not focused on as it should be. Um, as you think about uh, you know the way the way the industry is changing right now, what in particular are the hardest parts for folks um, as they adapt to new processes and new systems?
2: Well, it's definitely just people and behavior, you know, people are uncomfortable with change. I don't know how else to say it. Um, You can offer them a platform that provides um, opportunity to make their lives a little easier. You know, we've been focused on moving the underwriter from an operational underwriter to a sales underwriter for decades. I've been having the conversation around underwriting workbenches and installing technology yet, you still see certain underwriters get back to doing operations and they're in the back office when people want them selling. So, you know, I think that's part of it. The other part of it I hear now, and you're, you know, I know we'll get to things like Gen AI, but you people worry about their jobs. And there's a lot of people out there that think that their jobs are going to go away once the technology is there because the technology is there to remove, you know, all of those things that uh, are a waste of energy and time and can be done in an automatic way, which, consumes a lot of people's work hours these days. And the, so there's a pushback even before these programs start on technology change, let alone the process change. And, you know, not everybody is a salesperson. That's one thing insurers should know, right? Just because somebody's an underwriter doesn't mean that their ability to interact with you know brokers and agents is consistent just because they have the technology. So, um, you know, you're gonna have to start hiring different types of people for different types of roles. And we probably historically have had, you know, the role of a claims adjuster, the role of an, you know, underwriter support agent, you know, these things are, are changing and they should because, Um, the nature of what's uh, available to them from a technology standpoint, from an insight perspective, from a data perspective is, is changing and what the experience expectation from the market is the customers. And I use customers kind of broadly, it's internal, it's external is changing as well. And, you know, they expect to see a different experience and interaction than they historically have gotten. And it's tough. So, all those things combined, I think, make it very challenging for insurers to push that change into the levels, right? You'll you'll hear the people at the top level talk about it and the importance of it, and they recognize it. But pushing it all the way down into the execution levels uh, is challenging. And maybe the last thing I would say is organizations usually aren't built to have that capability internally because it's moving so fast that there isn't a lot of expertise around role modification support and, and and looking at the org structure and how it should evolve as the technology changes. So you have to rely on external people. And quite frankly, there's not, you know, even there isn't massive loads of people externally because we're all kind of walking through this at the same time. We've seen some success working with some of the hyperscalers and others who just say, forget insurance, think retail, think mm-hmm. Um, telematics thinks, think, uh, think other areas where, um, uh, that are already operating in a far more advanced way. And, and you can see some of the em- emerging insurance players, they certainly have the right idea, right? They have no, no history. So they start with a different mindset. They've got different challenges, but, um, I think it's inevitable. It's just hard in this industry.
0: Well, and it's not a one-size-fits-all, right? Like even within an insurance carrier, different lines of, of of insurance are going to be at different points in their uh, digital transformation, availability of data sets, the, ab- the ability to make those data driven decisions or automate just based on what's available. And so you can't... It's not a blanket... Uh, you know, fix where one day everyone can just, you know, snap a finger and it's, it's the new way it it takes time. And it's iterative to get to that, that end state.
2: Um. Oh, it, it, well, it's, there's no end state. That's what I would say. (laughs) And We used to start saying, you know, change is not a destination. It's, it's your, it's your new lifestyle, right? It is just that you have to be comfortable in an ever changing environment and we haven't even got to the point where we're just at the change piece yet. So, um, yes, I, I would I would wholly agree there. the cape, you know, the like a large organization, mid sized organization, even a small organization. It's going to be rolled out over time. Those changes based on priorities and investment in the market and everything else. But that attitude that is once it's changed, it's not, you know. It's not now that's the new forty next 40 years of your life. It should be, this is the starting point of our transformation.
1: Yeah, that raises a question for me. You talked about how there were competing priorities earlier um, and all of them, if acted upon, had varying levels of pain to accomplish. Like what's, from where you sit, what are the top three on the hit list of you know transformative processes to accomplish?
2: What are the top three target areas? Yeah. That's a a good question. Not sure if I've ever thought about it like that. Um, You know, you can look at it from a pure uh, combined ratio and where's the biggest areas uh, to address. And I think different companies have different challenges that they need to focus on, but I would say, um, the first thing is, is probably building a, uh, uh, like the foundational ecosystem. I'm not just talking about core insurance, but one of which that can grow with you for the next 30 years, um, the next 20 years, next 30 years, or however that may be. And, um, and so that's probably number one. I think underwriting is, is a massive target for us right now in the market. I. Don't go anywhere where we're not talking about underwriting. You can see the winners, you know, were out there forcing adverse selection on the losers over the last couple of years, picking off all the right risk and pushing all the bad risk at the wrong prices out to the competition. So, you know, that, you know, either delivering really profitable underwriting or pushing adverse selection. And then, you know, it's hard to ignore claims, ever ignore claims just because, it's such a large portion of of where the money is spent. I think um, those are probably the the, the three big areas. Um, and I, you know, the first one to me ties to we're in a lot of cost optimization, but it's really about modernizing your organization, right-sizing your uh, ecosystem, so that you're not overspending on something that is restrictive in your ability to grow or change. And uh, so that's that's become a, a pretty hot topic for us.
1: Okay. All right. Then the other side of the coin, same three, but rank them in terms of pain.
2: Ooh. Uh, I'd say number one is the most painful, the one, you know, modernizing the ecosystem because it's just so complex. Um, I would say probably claims is uh, claims might be number 2 i think claims and impo- you know underwriting you know there's things you can do on the underwriting side we've got great underwriters out there in a lot of organizations and sometimes they can use some simple capabilities and they can really have uh, a big impact i think claims because it's it's more of a like a just a, it's such a big process uh and it's standard fully standardized really across these organizations, it's a little bit more effort to move them and looking for um, areas you can synchronize and get, you know, kind of values from the, you know, scale, like building at scale claims, modernization. We've got some customers that are trying to go from, you know, 15% touchless to 75% touchless. That sounds huge, but what we're finding out, number one, it's hard. It's hard to do, but It is having, if done right, it actually has a significant uplift on your customer SAT scores because you're taking away the challenges that your policyholders had going through a claims and making their life easier. And it's a lot of outbound communication and and all kinds of things that can actually decrease your cost while driving up. Um, satisfaction, which you know, to me is like the holy grail. If you can, uh, there's one more, and you can do it while lowering your cost. You know, all three of those things generally happen, right? Because it's cheaper to automate. You got a happier customer. You know, it's it's. Um, but it's those are big, big efforts generally. Absolutely. Do you
1: feel like for underwriting and, and claims in particular, or either one, whichever one you want, you want to answer? Do you feel like the stack, the tool stack, has sort of started to settle down, or is it still a pretty volatile space?
2: No, I think it's, I think the tools are available um, right now. I mean, I think tools like Indigo and and the ability to, you know, we have this thing, what do we do? It was called uh, cognitive document processing that we had built. Oh. Like, Six years ago, which essentially was on the claim side and people, you know, all of the you'd get mail or you'd get emails or you get all kinds of things. And, you know, we were able to, to to just automate out the stuff that should be automated. Like, you know, there would be something like a lawsuit and a, a mail came in that was a predicting a lawsuit, but they wouldn't open that for 14 days because they couldn't get to. And by that time, all right, suit is on. And we realized, you know, you could salvage. You know, half of your legal fees, if you would just open, scan and route that to yeah. your internal legal legal department, wow. you know, the minute it came in, which isn't, you know, we're not talking, this isn't crazy far-fetched technology either. This is, you know, pretty standard. I mean, there was some, um, you know, handwriting analysis and convert-to-data stuff that was pretty cool and not at the level that is out there even with you guys today, but... um so as I look at it you know there's, there's not like there's a technology excuse of why we can't do things if oh, you yeah, ask sure. other than budget budget
1: yeah budget and the cost of adoption
2: which budget. often falls then adoption is yeah is the yep. is the fun one that's was actually with the chief transformation officer of um, Indico yesterday, I said, in Cova, in, in Cova. Coba, you're familiar with yeah,
1: them? I've heard the name. I don't, I don't know them well.
2: They they were motorists out like of that. Columbus. Yeah. And they started their transformation in 2015 and said 130 year old company. And I'll give them all the credit in the world. They said, and no, not my customer. And they said, we are going to, greenfield our business we're going to s- rebuild from the ground up and this year they will have gone from 27 policy systems to two <laughs> and they have a new br- and they rebranded they you know they they just killed motor i mean they just started a new company f- and wow. it's, it's an amazing story and like you want to talk about fortitude like the the guts it takes to to make that call oh, wow. execute yeah. it um, and it worked and it paid off. That's a great story. Yeah.
1: So Shane, uh, I wanted to ask you as you were talking about where we are and sort of the landscape and the ecosystems, do you feel like specifically for claims and underwriting, do you feel like the tool stack has started to sort of settle down or is that, is that still pretty volatile?
2: Well, I think the, the tools are there to deliver a really good capability. Now, are, are the tools going to continue to evolve? Absolutely. Um, the market will always evolve and, and, you know, you'll have big players that'll continue to look for solutions that, you know, give them a greater opportunity. And you'll look for startups, especially in these spaces, um, to, you know, to look for concepts that can have an impact for them and, and their customers. But I don't look at the tooling as a, is an excuse for, why the capability doesn't exist? I mean, you know, maybe budget, maybe uh, adoption um, is a bigger challenge, and and I get it, right? There, there's, there's not enough money to do everything and modernize everything, but um, the technology exists. Our ability to, you know, your tooling, uh, some stuff we've built in the past, your ability to 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 take information in and automate it. We talked about um, one of our customers who is going from fifteen percent. Their their goals go from 15% touchless to 75% touchless claims, while improving their customer satisfaction. And if you think about um, that, it's you know it, it hits it hits so hard at at success because you're hitting three things. You're hitting, you know, um, the automation side of things, so simplification. You're looking at you know your customer stats going up, and oh by the way, it's reducing your costs and generally reduce your cost of both IT if you're able to shut things off and you should be focused on shutting things off as well as the people side of things. And, um, so, so we're able to do that today. And, and, um, you know, some of that is in the end, then is just a commitment that that's what we are going to do. It scares a lot of people in the beginning again about my, our jobs or can we automate out like our, you know, we're known for our touch and our care, but, Customers want early, often information around their claim that can be done without the intervention of a of, of a human being. And that can be done in a way that uh, makes customer very happy. And they're getting those answers before they need to ask for them. And believe me, that's not where people want the communication, the, you know, the live communication. And so I think the technology exists. Will it evolve? Absolutely, unquestionably. But does it exist today? And is it kind of does it feel like it's it's um standard i don't know about standardizing but it's it's um i think it's well understood at this point okay
0: Well, Shane, i uh, i was just asked question I, um what it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this because obviously with any um automation or or business you know uh, goal there's usually a technology component right i think um what we've been seeing and it sounds like what what you're alluding to in the conversations you've had with your customers is this this goal of having technology be be the core of making those those changes, right? Of of going from fifteen to seventy five percent touches for improving that you know that customer score. I think for it, it's still going on, um, but for a little while, I feel like the the industry was going towards a product solution to solve some of those things, right? With parametric insurance coming out, like the whole goal of that, right? Was to automate those claims payouts, was to make it touchless, was to take the decision, any decision point away and say, if X, then Y, right? And so I'm just curious, is our parametric solutions still at the forefront of some of those those strategies that you're seeing or is it completely shifted to um, like a, a tech stack change?
2: Um, I don't know. It's it's not necessarily a tech stack change entirely. Yeah, parametrics is still it's still definitely involved. Uh, I, I will tell you that, and I'm not going to bring up names, but this customer that wanted to go from 15 to 75. They could go from 15 to 45 with an attitude change, right? With the belief that that was the right thing to do. It it wasn't that they needed, you know, the technology necessarily to do it. It was part of their business strategy had to be said, right? It's Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not measuring you on how many times you talk to the customer, where you got to measure you on how happy the customer is and the cost and the accuracy of our claims. So... I don't know that it's all tech stack. Um, it's certainly not all tech stack, but I think as as things evolve, it, it certainly is important, and will you know, and and in it's going to definitely get to the last maybe mile or so, maybe the last several miles, and in some cases, it might take you most of the entire journey. So, um, but yeah, no, that's still absolutely uh, relevant in the market.
1: It's funny how we improve the things we measure, isn't it? even if they're not the most useful um i have held out as long as i can i have to ask the question where do you see gen ai having an impact um and i guess let's keep it focused on underwriting and claims unless there's something more interesting that i don't know about i'm not an insurance guy
2: um well we're 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 in the middle of or or in the beginning middle of or we've executed and begun working on so many pocs in gen ai and i've Everywhere I go, it is AI. Gen AI is is definitely the number one target topic. It is it is screeched to the top. There's really two ways we look at it. One is in SDLC uh, lifecycle, so just technology deployment. So using it across the you know um, technology implementation, servicing, uh, management, absolutely, and it it will have an impact all the way across that and providing uh, speed and efficiency in that process. So that's a great thing for, for not just insurers that's universal, right? That's, it's just the nature of it. The, the, the other side of it is the business use cases. And, you know, we've already started with many, many, many business use cases, certainly claims and underwriting are great. Some of the, you know, very, very simple ones, you know, have big impact. Just, um, uh, looking at, uh, uh, supporting a, a claims agent and I forget that what we had a name for it but it's it's basically claims summary you know where you get today like customer has you know a, a claims agent has a claim summary on the desk but believe me there's way more information available out there internally externally through other tools that they could have and and we, we built very simple kind of gen AI tool set that can bring all that data and put it into um, a single plane of glass that gives them almost everything they need to know to support them through that claim process in a way faster, more accurate way. And same on the underwriting side, um, maybe even more impactful, bringing in way more data to allow underwriters to be, you know, speedy, efficient, effective, and and most importantly, accurate, profitable, and a very similar kind of use case for both and pretty impactful. And it's not just that, you know, one of the outcomes that, We realized is not only does it provide you this data, but you something that may scare a lot of people is the the level of skill required to perform the same level of outcome goes down. So, you you know, instead of having a 20 year expert, um, you can have a five year person perform at the same level as a 20 year expert by using these summary capabilities as an example and what we're seeing is you know my expectation is it's pervasive it's going to be into every component of the entire life cycle um, the policy life cycle from start to finish most likely and customers are just going to have to to me it's more importantly build gen ai level muscle In the organization so that they can leverage it and get the best out of it as opposed to you know picking off use case after use case they're they're everywhere um obviously but it's you know it's still early days so we're 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 seeing you know kind of really cool outcomes even though you know we're we're probably and i don't think anyone's too far ahead of us so it's you know you're in the early days of 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 POC results and now people looking for funding going in the next year to start putting all of this into action
1: One one more question on that thought um, so you don't need the 20 years of experience to do the job anymore at least maybe not in the majority of cases of doing the job is that 20 years of experience required to build an adequate gen AI solution
2: um I think, uh, to, yeah, certainly not the tech, technical solution, but oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, but likely definitely in, not in helping define and, 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 and get to the right solution. Yes. Um, it is helpful to have them, uh, as part of the team. Absolutely. Because they understand, you know, if they could do this best, what would they need and how would we go about acquiring that data in a, you know, in a snap of a finger and have it all at your fingertips and what things could you automate out that you don't need to do in this process that's keeping you held back and and so but it takes 20 years of experience to get through your organizational blockers which sit there to stop you from you know making bad decisions you know that's what we'll say right you know sometimes they're just blockers for blockers' sake cuz that's how the process is but sometimes you know they're there for a reason And a lot of that, you can automate out as well so that you don't need that 20 years. But yeah, they're important in creating the solution and, you know, yet to be seen, um, you know, how much it does change the workforce, but it has the potential to have a significant workforce impact.
1: Yeah, that's a whole episode right there. We'll have you there. (laughs) On
2: on,
0: on, on that thread, Shane, the, the, I guess the blockers there, or the people that know the process, know, know, have the insights on why decisions are made. A lot of that is also, they're probably, um, structuring the decision making to avoid stepping on landmines, right? So there's the, obviously there's the regulatory side that we haven't touched on yet. And we're seeing a lot of, um, We're talking to a lot of of insurers and and then obviously uh, startups as well that are looking to solve um, the concerns in that realm, right, of the data security, data privacy. If you're using these generative AI platforms, how does this impact downstream what you can use in your in your in your pricing modeling and what you file with the states and making sure that it's um, you know not completely a black box obviously you're not giving away your pricing secret sauce but you have to be able to identify those those elements so um you know what have, what have you what have you been thinking about in in that in that vein specifically as it relates to Gen AI?
2: yeah that's probably the number one blocker in the industry from going mm-hmm. faster um it is a shared concern by everybody and rightfully so down to my own legal who has an interest in every contract regardless how small it is when it comes to gen ai right they are they are deep into it to make sure we are not saying anything now the interesting part about it is there there really isn't a regulatory requirement yet there's a lot of talk about that 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 we all know it's coming and they're holding their ability to hold you accountable if they feel whatever you're doing should be probably um looked at negatively but you know the smart folks are pushing their own process and messaging and forewarning around what we're doing to address what what we think should be regulatory um challenges so that we're proactively pushing to the regulators what we're doing about it how we're addressing it almost As if we can help write whatever it ends up being um, written by the regulators uh, in the marketplace. You you almost have to because it it really is pretty opaque. And um, and, and you know that is another space that's going to evolve. Quite frankly, I can't predict what's going to happen in two years and how much more intelligent the capabilities get. And therefore, you know, how do you stop it potentially from accessing data you didn't want it to? And can you? What do you even know? Which, which you didn't know. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, that it's going to be an interesting space, but you're, you're absolutely right. That is, that is a conversation every time we talk about it and, you know, we're coming up with strategies to, to try and preempt the challenges, but to a degree you're, you're, you don't know how, how, how accurate you're going to be just yet, but you can kind of feel, um, that something's coming. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, that, that that that, I wish I could predict. God, I wish I had a little bit of a time machine to go out a couple of years.
1: Yeah, well,
0: I, that's a question we can't ask you now. We usually ask, "What's your outlook for the next five to yeah. ten years?" I guess we'll yeah, avoid no, no crystal <laughs> ball <one>. for
1: Shane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I uh, I think it, it's also to your point. It's really dependent on the technology, right? Like there there's a future where the best performance on models the performance you need requires you to have a massive farm of compute and the sort of scrappy do it yourself or um, open source models won't be able to deliver that. And so do these models get regulated like utilities or something crazy like that? I, again, I also would like to join you in that time machine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, you could see a point and we've done some things around predictive selling and, and, you know, it starts to get a little hairy, but, you know, this is a, these are back office people thinking about this, but you could look at um, instead of waiting for, you know, your uh, policy requests to come through digitally, you know, understanding different markers in customer journeys in their life, you know, uh, and they do this on the life side better right now. You have a baby or you have this and you're going to get sent stuff. You know, obviously if you buy a car, then you get X, but you know, selling that full set of services, looking at people in different markets, moving, you know, and really, you know, pushing out offers much faster through leveraging this technology that can somehow figure out way more likely if they're ready to buy based on those triggers. Um you're not even, you know, it's not not even responsive anymore. Now you're just pushing out uh you're pushing product to all the right people and those that are the smartest and um, may be able to have you know, a domination effect in the marketplace. I I don't know. It's it's there's a lot of work to be done. And I'm happy to be in the space we are in because we get to work in it and we get to follow the journey with everybody else and keep trying to push the market ahead.
1: That's another recurring theme of this podcast is how much more interesting insurance is than people give it credit for.
2: It's so true. It's so true. It's funny because I always start, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I work in insurance technology and we all have a good chuckle. And then I say, but but really, it's pretty interesting. It pretty you'd, be, nice. you'd be surprised how uh, how interesting and, and how fast paced it is, um, at least for my vision, where, where I'm sitting and, and with our customers. So you're absolutely right.
1: Great. Well, at this point, I'm going to call it. This has been another episode of Unstructured Unlocked. Our guest today has been Shane Cassidy, Executive Vice President of Global Insurance at Capgemini. Shane, thanks a lot.
2: Thank you both Thank you, for having me. The pleasure. Take care.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at IndicoData on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automator.